0: Hey, welcome to Biltmore Church. My name's Clayton King, if I've never met you before. It's a real honor for me today to get to preach for you. Pastor Bruce is one of my closest friends in the world, and Biltmore is one of my favorite churches. And so I'm gonna be able to preach to you today from right here at Biltmore Church. I'm excited about this particular topic today. When Pastor Bruce invited me to come and be a part of this series, it really resonated deeply in my heart because I'm in the same boat that you're in right now. Our um, schedules have been disrupted. The rhythms of life are very different now than what we're used to. I had a conversation just this morning uh, on my drive to Biltmore to preach this message with a friend who said by eight o'clock this morning, his entire family was already in (laughs) full-blown meltdown. They have two small kids and they're trying to figure out how to prepare food and how to get kids out of the house and how to make sure they're doing the school that they can do online while also remaining, you know, committed to each other as a husband and a wife to communicate with each other on a daily basis. And I know that if you're anything like me right now, it's probably begun to, to wear on you just a little bit. Now look, cards on the table I am an extreme extrovert, like as extreme as it can get. Uh, I score as high as you can score on all the personality tests for an extrovert. So you can imagine what this uh, pandemic has been like for a person like me who loves human interaction. Uh, I know that you probably have had to come face-to-face with some real difficult realities in your own world right now. A lot of us are looking at, the economy, we're looking at jobs, we're looking at unemployment potentially. We're hoping maybe for some government assistance and we're praying that the virus goes away so that we don't have to worry about catching it or giving it to someone else. So I wanted to kinda lead off in this message as we're in this series, what to do when life gets hard. I wanna start off by making a statement that I think is gonna help you and help me navigate the days ahead of us as we begin to think and pray about life getting back to normal, because I think we all know intuitively that normal may not look like what we expect it to look like when we do finally get there. So here's the title of the message today, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, Carried by Community. That's the title of the message today, Carried by Community. What do you do when life gets hard? Well, you lean on the people around you that can help you. You lean in to your sisters and your brothers in Christ. When life gets hard and you don't really know how to navigate uncharted waters like we're all swimming in now, best case scenario, you've got people in your life that can be there to encourage you. You've got people in your life that can be there to share a Bible verse with you, to pray with you. People that can talk to you, whether it's face to face or, on a Zoom call. And can I just say right now, I am all Zoomed out. If you're in a business space or maybe even in a ministry space where you're having to have all your meetings now virtually, I'm thankful for Zoom. I wish I had invested in Zoom a year ago, but I'm all Zoomed out. What are we craving right now? I think what we're craving most of all is that connection with other people that we realize is so important because we miss it so deeply. I, uh, read an article about six months ago that brought in the research and the data from multiple different scientific projects where experts and anthropologists and scientists and even doctors and psychologists were trying to figure out the most important element to happiness. What is it that makes a person happiest at the end of their life? And so without going into total nerd territory with you, let me encapsulate for you what they found out. And when I say they, I mean the experts, the people with PhDs, the people who understand human beings at a deep emotional and sociological and cultural level have proven through the data and decades worth of scientific research that the number one thing that makes people happy is this, and I want to quote, the greatest indicator of spiritual growth for an individual is their connection to community. Let's say that again. The greatest indicator of spiritual growth for an individual is their connection to community. And overall, this study found out that at the end of life, men and women said that the one thing that brought them the greatest joy— That the one thing that helped them weather the toughest times in life that got them through cancer or the death of a spouse or the death of a child or the death of a parent, the one thing that helped them navigate changing seasons, losing jobs, unemployment, health disruptions, that the one great indicator of overall happiness and well-being was the support system of people around you the human connection that you were able to make with other people. And I wanna show you today from the scripture how we cannot live life alone. This is true, not just in the scientific research space, but it's also true in the heart space of every single human being like you and like me. Christian or not, we were wired for community. We were built by God, to exist in relationship with other people. I'll even take it a step further and dive a little bit deeper. We reflect God. The Bible says that we are made in God's image. In Genesis 2 and 3, when God decides to create the human race, God literally says, let us make mankind or humanity in our own image. God uses plural language. He says, us, And he says, our, let us make humanity in our own image. But that sounds a little confusing, right? Because God is one. There's only one God. We believe that. It's actually the part of the first commandment that we sometimes fail to quote. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall have no other gods before me. So what does God mean in Genesis when he says, let us make man in our own image? Well, God, from the very beginning of the scriptures, is showing us the Trinity, that God is one who exists in three and he is three in one. God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. So God, listen, get this. God already existed in a community with himself before he ever made Adam and Eve. So when he made Adam and Eve in his own image, he created the first prototype human beings, Adam and Eve, to exist in community. That's why when he made Adam, he said that Adam was very good, but he also said it's not good for man to be alone. So I want you to see that from the very beginning, from the start of this thing that we call life, God meant for us to have community with other people because God exists in community with himself, father, son, and spirit. And so during the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as the good times of your life, as well as when you're young, when you're middle age, when you're old, when you're on your deathbed, you will always need to be carried by community. There's never a time in your life that you won't need personal connection. Some of us right now are just more aware of our need for personal connection than we've ever been. Uh, matter of fact, um, my wife and I take our dog on a walk We take our boys and our dog on walks a couple of times a week now. And I, since, um, gosh, I I guess since I was a kid, I can't remember seeing so many people out on a walk, walking alone, walking with family, walking with friends, walking their dog, walking in neighborhoods. Isn't it crazy that it took a worldwide pandemic to remind us of how important it is to turn off our phones, to, to push the screens back? to turn off the television, and to get outside and enjoy sunshine and fresh air and nice weather and conversation with people that we love. You were created by God for connection with other people. And you and I at every stage and every age, if we're going to thrive, and if we're going to have peace and joy and hope, and if we're going to be able to get all of God's goodness and blessing and the promises that he has bought for us in his son Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, we will only achieve hope and peace and joy. We'll only get those things if we are carried by community, if we are living in connection with community like God wired us to. Let me read this to you from Mark chapter two, verses one through 12. I wanna show you how important it is that we live in community and how the the brothers and sisters and the family members that we have in our lives either through your small group, through a connect group, through a bible study, in your own family, your roommate, <clears throat> I want to show you how important it is that we allow other people to be close enough to us to carry us when we need them. Because you can't carry someone if you're not close to them. This is a perfect story to illustrate this biblical truth. Uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. The Bible, the Bible says, When he, being Jesus, when he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that Jesus was at home. So many people gathered together. Can I just pause right there? I am so excited for the day that that happens again. I cannot wait to gather. If there are a thousand people, the first day I preach, I will shake a thousand hands and hug a thousand necks. Okay, I just had to say that. That's me, extreme extrovert, just kind of exploding on you a little bit. So many people, verse two, gathered together that there was no room, not even in the doorway, as Jesus was speaking the word to them. They came to him, bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Now, since, there were not, uh, since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, Your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. And I love this verse. I love it when Jesus tells us explicitly why he does something. And this is one of those moments in the scriptures where Jesus doesn't leave it up to us to figure it out. He literally says, the reason I am doing what I am doing is this. Don't miss it. Verse 10. But so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, Get up, take your mat, and go home. Now, pause for a moment, and I want you to feel the tension and the anticipation in this house in Capernaum. There are dozens of people there, maybe over 100. The place is packed. You can't even get in. Everybody's come to hear Jesus preach and teach again. Capernaum was Jesus' home base. Even though he grew up in Nazareth, Capernaum was his home as an adult, where he based his ministry out of. Peter is from there, Andrew is from there, other of the disciples are from. Capernaum, Jesus has been on a ministry tour in the region of Galilee around the Lake of Galilee, and he's been performing miracles and teaching the Bible, and he's been explaining what the Old Testament means when it talks about Messiah and the Messiah that they were waiting for. And everybody in Capernaum has just been waiting on Jesus to come back to his town where he's been living, where he has friends and family members and people that he loves. And the reason they're waiting is because they want to hear what Jesus has to say but they also wanna see what Jesus can do because they've heard the rumors. Jesus that we know, Jesus that we love, Jesus, yeah, the, the carpenter, he's performing miracles. He's doing things that only the Messiah is supposed to do. Maybe when he comes back to Capernaum, he'll heal my sick brother. Maybe when he comes back here, I can bring my crippled cousin and Jesus will heal him. Maybe he'll make my blind grandmother see again or my deaf grandfather hear again. Everybody was waiting on Jesus to show back up at Capernaum. So when he comes back to town, word traveled fast and everybody sprints to the house. When they get to the house, everybody's there. So no one can get to Jesus. So these four friends, don't miss this, who had a connection— to their friend, their brother. They brought their brother who had a need, he couldn't walk, he was a paralytic, means he couldn't use his legs. They put him on a mat and they bring him to the house. But the minute they get there, they realize we can't get him into Jesus. There's too many people. He's surrounded. There's a a circle of humanity around him. What are we going to do? And I love their tenacity. I love their commitment to their brother. I love the commitment of this small community to a brother in need. They weren't going to just say, well, we tried. We did our best. I mean, come on, man. You're, You're like dead weight. We carried you all the way here. What do you expect from us? We've got calluses on our hands from lugging you around on this mat. We did our best. We got here. I guess it just wasn't in the cards. I guess God is not going to come through for you today. No, a community sticks together. That's what community does. A community carries you even when the weight is heavy. So they went above, literally and figuratively, they went above their circumstances. They decided if we can't get to Jesus in the traditional sense, We're gonna become problem solvers right now. We're gonna think outside the box a little bit. They were willing to vandalize somebody else's home just to get their friend to Jesus. That's what community does. That's what brothers and sisters do. That's why you need a small group. It's why I need to be connected to friendships. It's one of the reasons why, even when I'm not preaching at Biltmore, I drive to Asheville to hang out with Pastor Bruce. We go eat dinner. We sit by the fire pit at his house. Why? Because I need a friend like Pastor Bruce Frank. He needs a friend like me. We're brothers. Yeah, we're ministry colleagues. But I also know that when my mom died, when my dad died, when I went through depression and the darkness that that really sucked me into it, your pastor shepherded my heart. You may not know that about him unless You've been on the receiving end of that kind of grace and love. That's what a brother does for a brother. That's what a sister does for a sister. That's what community does for those of us that belong in that community. When there is a need, you step in. You see a need, you meet a need. You see a need, you meet a need. You don't have to pray about whether or not you should meet the need of somebody that's in your connect group or somebody that's in your Bible study or somebody that's in your community. You just meet the need. And right now there are some people who have lost jobs. I think about the wait staff at restaurants. I think about seasonal workers. I think about people that live off of tips. I think about single moms who literally live paycheck to paycheck. And if you know some of them and you've got the ability to meet that need, then take up the mindset of these brothers. Yeah, there's a barricade, there's a barrier, I mean, we can't get this guy to Jesus right now because there are people all around him. But what if we don't try to go through the people? What if we go up and above and just drop him down right in front of Jesus? That's what love motivates us to do. That's why community carries us in times of crisis. We need brothers and sisters around us that are willing to tear the roof off of somebody else's house. Am I advocating vandalism? No, I'm not. Please don't go tear something up and then blame me. What I am advocating for is a ride or die mentality. I'm by your side no matter what. I'm by your side even when things are hard. I got your back even when you don't know and I don't know what the future holds. The ride or die mentality of community is what we see right here in this passage of scripture. Now, let me finish the scripture and give you a few points to think about and reflect upon in the days ahead. The Bible says right here in uh, Mark chapter two, I already read the verse two, I'm gonna repeat it again, verse 10. But so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately, he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded, and they gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Um, Got some points I want to bring to your attention. Sometimes I start preaching and forget there's a point to all of this. So I'm going to share a few thoughts that I believe will encourage you. First of all, there are three miracles that take place here. Can I read those to you? Three miracles in this passage of Scripture. Uh, Number one, Jesus knew their thoughts. That was a miracle. Number two, Jesus forgave a man's sins. And then thirdly, he healed a paralytic. Three miracles in Mark chapter two. Of all four of the gospels, we believe that Mark was written first. Uh, we, We call these the synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke follow a pretty similar timeline of the life and the ministry of Jesus. Mark Uh, is the action gospel. You see the word immediately a lot. Jesus gets down to business. He has confrontations with demons. He casts out evil spirits. He heals the sick. This is one of those stories where Jesus does something to prove to the people that he is the Messiah. Don't miss this. The miracle that comes in Mark chapter two is not just one miracle. There are three. He's able to read people's thoughts Isaiah tells us that the Messiah would be able to know what was inside of people's hearts and inside of people's minds, that he would be a man of knowledge. So this is a proof that he's the Messiah. He's also able to forgive this man's sins. That's a miracle. Only God could do that. And then in order to prove that he was the Messiah, after he forgives the man of his sins, right, The scribes are there and they are criticizing Jesus because the scribes knew what the rabbis had been teaching. The Bible says that the scribes were seated. This means that they were in a place of honor. This means that the scribes were there where this healing took place. Okay. They wouldn't stand. They would sit down. That's how you honored a religious leader in those days. When they hear Jesus tell this man, you are forgiven of your sin. They immediately think in their heart, who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sins. There was a teaching by the rabbis that believed if a person had their sins forgiven first, then they could be healed. In other words, healing would not come until their sins had been blotted out. Jesus knew that they were looking for this sign. So Jesus then performs the third miracle, which is simply speaking to a paralytic and giving him the ability to walk. Three miracles. Don't miss the fact that these miracles took place in a community. They took place in Capernaum. The miracles... Took place in front of an audience. That's one of the blessings of being carried by a community is that when you have a need, other people know the need. Then God can do His miracle through those people because when those people find out what needs you have, they act as the hands and feet of Jesus and they take care of the need. And then the entire community gets to honor God. The entire community gets to praise God. They get to glorify God. They get to brag on God. That's exactly what it says in the last verse, uh, verse 12. They said, we've never seen anything like this. They gave glory to God in that moment. So we rob ourselves of so many good things when we isolate ourselves outside of community. And one of the things that we rob ourselves from is the blessing of not only being able to help other people in our community, but of receiving grace when God motivates and activates the people in our community to step in and help us. Right now um, in South Carolina, where I live, one of our communities has been devastated by a, a terrible tornado. I've never been on the ground the day after a a gigantic tornado just levels a community. And we've been able to to activate dozens and dozens of people, over a hundred different people, to go in with chainsaws and bobcats and skid steers and tractors and go in and give spiritual counsel, but also physical work to dig these people's homes out from under the rubble. I've never seen people more interested in the things of God And do you know why they're interested in that small community now? Because they've seen the community come together. They've seen Methodist churches and Pentecostal churches and Baptist churches and non-denominational churches and the National Guard and Samaritan's Purse and the Red Cross. Everybody's coming together and this community is stepping up to carry this community through this terrible crisis. And now people want to know, why are you here? Why are you working so hard? And we get to honor God and say, our God gives us the, not just the power to do this, but the motivation to do it. So let me give you just a few things to think about as we, as we close up this message together. Okay. You might want to write these down. I know you're, you're watching right there in your living room or in your apartment, or maybe at your kitchen table or in your bedroom, but I want you just to write this down because this is important. He couldn't get there alone and neither could we. The man who is healed in this story, we don't know his name, but the the real simple truth is he could have never gotten to Jesus alone that day. He couldn't walk. He couldn't get up and walk out the door. He couldn't call an Uber or catch a taxi or crank up his car and drive to Capernaum. Somebody had to carry him. And he couldn't get to Jesus alone, neither can we. As a matter of fact, if you are a Christian, You became a Christian because other people in your life helped get you there. Maybe it was your mom that prayed for you to be saved. Maybe your dad led you to Jesus. Maybe you gave your life to Christ in a Sunday school class as a kid or at a VBS when you were in middle school. Maybe you got saved at a summer camp for students, or maybe you got saved at a revival or a Sunday morning when Pastor Bruce was preaching, or maybe you got saved in college at an FCA gathering. You didn't get to Jesus alone. There was a community of people that helped get you there. Okay, so you can't do life alone. You can try, but you're going to be sad, isolated, depressed, anxious, and alone. Jesus has a community called the church. And in the same way that those four friends were willing to, to carry their friend to Jesus on a mat, Jesus was willing to honor their faith and not only save their friend from his sins, but give him his legs back. Also, I want to show you this. As believers in Christ, here's what we do. We fight for our friends. We don't leave them in a place of isolation. If we see a friend going down a bad path, we do everything in our power to help them. We fight for our friends. I've made some commitments to some of my brothers in Christ that if I ever see you about to ruin your life, you're gonna have to physically fight through me to get on the other side so that you can throw your life away. And the crazy thing is, those moments come where you have to make good on that promise. Those moments come in community where you have to say to a sister or a brother, hey, I'm seeing you do some things right now that I believe are gonna take you to a bad place. You need to stop. I love you. Let me help you. And there may be times where that person says, I'm not going to listen to you. Or they, they tell you, okay, I hear you, but then they still ignore you or they lie to you. Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep fighting for your friends. You know what a real friend will do? A real friend will also fight through all of my defenses and tell me when I'm proud or when I'm arrogant or when I'm acting, this is a phrase I grew up on the farm here and too big for my britches. Some of y'all can relate to that. I think a little too highly of myself. I'm acting like a big shot. I need friends in my life that will fight through the awkwardness, they'll fight through the the weirdness, and they'll say, hey, Clayton, are you okay? Are you you doing good? Because I'm noticing some patterns in your life, and I wanna help you. These four guys are the, the perfect example in the Bible of what it means to fight for your friends. They were willing, I love this, they were willing to tear up somebody else's house. They were going to have to pay for that. They, they were going to have to give money to the owner of that house. And we could go into the way the houses were constructed back then and the roofs were oftentimes flat and, and they would oftentimes just be able to pull back the thatching on a roof. That's not what's happening here. They litter, the language in Mark chapter 2 is an act of vandalism. They tear a hole in the man's roof. They were willing to fight for their friends. They just weren't gonna take no for an an answer. No, Jesus is here and we don't know how long it's gonna be before he comes back to Capernaum. He's been out to the the Decapolis, the 10 cities around Galilee, and he's been preaching the kingdom and teaching over here and he's been in Bethsaida and he's been up to Nazareth and he's been all over and he's back in Capernaum. This might be our only chance to get our friend in front of Jesus. Also, Maybe their friend was critically ill. Maybe it was more than just paralysis. Maybe he was about to die. And their desperation led them to fight for their friend. They were willing to do whatever they had to do to get their friend in front of Jesus. And this leads me to the next reflection. It just jumps off the page at me. The best benefit of friendship is borrowing their faith. It's one of the reasons why we need to be carried by community, why we need to connect with other people. There will be times in your life, maybe right now is one of them, where you don't have enough faith to get through this next season or even the current day you're in right now. There will be moments where you doubt God, where you wonder, what is God up to? And when you don't have enough faith and you're all alone, what do you do? You panic, you give up, you freak out, I do if there's no community in your life that you're connected to, then when your faith begins to diminish and get small and you doubt God and you question God, then your mind will begin to go into a really dark place where it spins out of control and you're believing worst case scenarios and you doubt whether or not God's even there. But the benefit of friendship is you've got faith you can borrow from your friends. A brother or a sister can get on the phone with you and talk some sense into you or just listen to you while you vent your doubts and your frustrations. I'm in a couple of group texts. I get a text every single morning from a dairy farmer in Statesville, North Carolina. Kid you not, we've been friends for 20 years. And he texts me a Bible verse, just a passage of scripture. There's a group of us that get this text. And every single morning, I know that around 6 a.m., my phone's going to ding, And I'm going to read this verse from my friend, Ben, the dairy farmer in Statesville. So there have been days that my faith has been weak and I've had to borrow faith from Ben. This guy who couldn't walk, he had to borrow strength from his friends. They carried him with their physical bodies to Jesus. But did you notice that when Jesus saw the faith of them, he told the friend, your sins are forgiven. They had faith. To get him to Jesus. They had faith to bring him to Christ. They had faith to tear the roof off of somebody else's house. And I believe that the paralytic also had faith in Jesus because he had consented to let them bring him. It could have even been his idea. Like maybe that's what happened. Maybe the guy who couldn't walk said to his friends, look, I know I'm like pushing 200 pounds here and I'm a big guy, but you need to get me to Jesus because he's my only hope. He can heal me. And they could have fought him. They could have argued. They could have said, no, we're not doing that. Or they could have said, yes, we're there. It really doesn't matter how they started. What matters is how they finished. They finished with faith. And I believe that the faith of those friends and the faith of the paralytic got Jesus' attention and Jesus forgave his sins before he healed his body. Why? Because our greatest need is not physical healing, it's spiritual healing. Our greatest need is not the ability to walk. Our greatest need is the ability to be saved. And Jesus went straight to that need first. To forgive the man of his sins meant that he was reconciled with God, meant that he had a promise of heaven, that he would be with Jesus in the kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth eventually. Jesus wanted to make sure that he took care of that need before he took care of any other need. And that is the benefit of friendship, is that we get to borrow their faith when we need it. But there's one more thing that I want to point out to you from this passage of Scripture and the value of being carried by a community, and that's this. It's just a question. I want to pose this question to you at the end of my message. What good is a healing if there's no home to go to? What good is a healing if there's no one to go home to? It makes sense, right? Jesus tells the paralytic in verse 11, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Home is a place that we've gotten real familiar with over the the last couple of months, right? Not just as Americans, but as the human race. There's never been a time in human history where the entire planet has been in such similar circumstances. As a matter of fact, I think in many ways this event will define our generation like World War II defined previous generations. We're in our homes. We're in our homes with our family. We're doing meetings from our homes. We're working from our homes. We're cooking meals in our homes. We're doing projects around the house, in the house, outside the house. I got a phone call yesterday from a friend of mine who was uh, digging holes and planting shrubs that they'd been wanting to plant outside for years. We're even doing some small remodeling at my house in my home right now. I love the fact that Jesus heals the man, but then he sends him home. Why? Why? Because home is the place you belong. Home is the place where your family lives. Home is the place where you connect to people that you love. So I want to ask you this question again. What good is a healing if there's no one to go home to? This is true for the man who was healed that day. It's true for us and the desire that we feel to be connected to people and community. But it's also eternally true God wants to heal us of our sin and then promise us a home one day in the new heaven and the new earth. Jesus made this promise in John 14. He looks at his disciples and says, why are you so troubled? You believe in God? Believe in me too. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it weren't true, I would have told you, but I'm gonna go there to that place and I'm gonna prepare a place for you so that where I am, you can come and be with me. You know the place I speak of, and you know the way there. That's John chapter 14. Jesus didn't come just to set us free from our sin. Jesus came to place us in a family called the church to put us in a community that will carry us when we're weak and when we can't walk. But Jesus has also promised us a home in eternity. And so when you are saved and when I put my faith in Jesus, I can not only look forward to the moments where my community will help carry me, and I can connect with them and they can connect with me and we live in this community of faith. I'm looking forward to the day when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom and there's a new heaven and a new earth and we've all got resurrected bodies and I'm gonna be with you and you're gonna be with me and we're gonna be a big community and there will be no physical distancing and no social distancing and extroverts like me can just be on 10 all day long, all the time and Jesus will be there and we don't have to be isolated or alone ever again. Jesus not only heals us, he gives us a home to go home to. And that home wouldn't be a home without our community. And so when we gather together on Sundays at church, when you gather together in a Bible study, or when you sit down at the table in your home and you eat a meal with your family, you're tasting heaven in that community. And the reason why so many of us miss interaction with people It's because we were made for that. We were born for that. We were created for that. And we miss that connection when we don't get it. But in Christ, in the gospel, we have a promise that not only will Jesus forgive us of our sins and heal us from our brokenness, but he is preparing a place for us to go home to. And the people who are there will be our brothers and sisters in Christ. But the most important person is the Lord Jesus himself. So I wanna encourage you today, This season is not going to last forever. My grandmother used to say, hey, you know, Clayton, the Bible says it came to pass. Do you know why it says it came to pass? No, Grandma, why does it say it came to pass? She would say, because it didn't come to stay. It came to pass. This season will pass. And one day, when this world has passed away, You have the promise that you have a hope that you can be healed and you have a home and your home is with God in the new heaven and the new earth with your community. Don't wait till you're dead to get that kind of connection with your brothers and sisters. Do whatever it takes right now. Hey, one practical step you can take before I pray and you'll hear more about this, but you can just text the word CONNECT to 28282. It's a very practical and simple way for you to begin connecting with people in community right here at Biltmore Church. Just text the word CONNECT to 28282, and that'd be a great first step for you to take as you allow community to do its work and carry you along when you need. Let me pray for you. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for the story in Mark chapter two that inspires us to live in community, to connect with other people. Thank you that you not only heal physical sickness, but you forgive us of our sins. And thank you for the power of the gospel that can still set us free from our sins today. And hey, I'm just gonna say this. We're Right where you are watching, eyes closed, heads bowed, I'm an evangelist, I can't help it. If you have never connected with Jesus, you can be saved right now. Maybe while I've been preaching, the Holy Spirit has stirred something in you and you wanna give your life to Christ. You connect with Jesus by asking him to forgive you of your sin and inviting him into your life. That's your greatest need right now. More than a a job, more than an income, more than being safe from COVID-19, You need to have a relationship with Jesus. It's your greatest need, and Jesus has already died and rose from the dead to provide you with that need. So if you wanna connect with Jesus and give your life to him right now, take that first step of faith by just praying and asking him. Just pray this to him right where you are, in your apartment or your dorm room or your living room or your kitchen or your bedroom, just pray this. Jesus, I wanna connect with you, so I invite you in please save me right now. I repent of my sin. I give you my heart. I want to know you, Jesus. Save me right now. Help me follow you. Thank you for connecting with me today. In Jesus' name, amen.